You are listening to The Voice of the Arts, WQED-FM. I'm Jim Cunningham. Brian Gurley is here from St. Paul Cathedral. He's the director of the music program there, leads the choir, plays the Beckerat organ. And the spotlight is really on you now, even though you'll be in the balcony above at the, the back of the sanctuary there, uh, with your own recital on Sunday afternoon at 3.30 in this beautiful summer series of free recitals at St. Paul Cathedral. I can't believe we're down to the next to the last event. Yes, thank you, Jim. Good to be with you. It's it's one thing to have uh, uh, coordinated this series, and but then also have to perform on it uh, makes it uh, even more exciting for me. So um, we have a little bit of a schedule change for the final two uh, performances, just a switch of the last two performers. So uh, I think originally I was published to play on the 14th of August, but I'll play this Sunday the 7th. And then Thomas Mueller from Concordia University in Irvine, California will play on the 14th. Both concerts are still at the same time, 3.30, Sunday afternoons. I want to hear what you have planned for your recital. So the first piece I'll play uh, is by the 19th century French composer and organist Théodore Salomé, who was born in Paris, studied at the Paris Conservatory, and he worked at the Church of the Holy Trinity in Paris. Um, He was contemporaries with uh, figures that are probably more widely known beyond the organ world, such as Charles Gounod, Uh, Georges Bizet, Jules Massenet. Um, And then we get a bit of a glimpse of the Parisian musical scene at that time, uh, into which he fits. Uh, He was also a contemporary with Franck and and the iconic French organ builder, uh, Aristide Cavaillé-Colle, who built the organ at, at the Holy Trinity where Salome worked. And so this, uh, the piece is uh, the Grand Coeur, uh, uh, and it'll open the program, and it's just a smashing fun piece, just floods the cathedral with sound. Big toccata-like arpeggios, and then full chords, full pedal, you know, just a, a very, uh, a, a wonderful opener. The second piece uh, is the Prelude Fugue and Chaconne in C by Dietrich Buxtehude. Uh, Buxtehude was a composer and organist in North Germany, though he was actually of Dutch origin, uh, born in Helsingborg around 1637. Uh, he served at the prominent St. Mary's Church in Lübeck, the Marienkirche. Uh, and so Buxtehude and, and the North German school were known for cultivating what we know as the uh, Stilus Fantasticus, or the fantastic style. And this is free organ music in the sense that it's not based on pre-existing musical material uh, like a chant or a psalm tone or a chorale tune like so many other pieces of music that they would have written. Um, But they involve a great deal of improvisatory writing uh, and very strict counterpoint, some fugal passages. Um, And so they're quite sophisticated pieces uh, that really... Uh, upon further analysis, you know, possess a rhetorical structure. And so uh, certain small ideas form the foundation of every section of the piece, and that's the case of this prelude. Um, And there's a rather uh, transparent motive, which is a descending scale from C to G. And then that that very simple kind of nugget forms the the foundation for uh, basically the three big sections of the piece. Who decided to call it the fantastic style? That's a good question. I'm not sure. I think it. I. I'm. I wonder if it only just means that it's 
uh, a free work that it's not based on any pre-existing chant melody or chorale tune. And there are other composers who wrote in a fantastic style. Yeah, we know that Bach... made travels up to Lübeck to study with Buxtehude. Uh, I think there was a letter where he uh, wrote to his uh, pastor and said, I'm going to learn one thing or another about my art. (laughs) So he studied with Buxtehude. Uh, I think this, um, the fantastic style uh, has roots in uh, the Italian uh, school as well. So organists like Frescobaldi, um, his his compositions are exemplary of this on the earlier side. And then Buxtehude really cultivated it along with others in the North German school. Froberger, I think, b- brought it from Italy to North Germany. And then Bach, J.S. Bach, went up and studied with Buxtehude and and then cultivated it even more in his own works. Is it Bach and Buxtehude that generated the biographical story of Bach investigating the job that Buxtehude had, and he didn't take it because of Buxtehude's daughter, or is that another uh, part of the uh, lexicon? Of, <laughs> uh, the I, I'm afraid I can't st- speak to that. You know, <laughs> I'm not sure if anybody knows the details about it, <laughs> but there was supposedly a walking tour that Bach took for a what, a hundred miles or something to investigate a job, and I think it might have been Buxtehude, and uh, then decided he wasn't going to do it when he learned that part of the deal involved marrying the daughter of Buxtehude. Or I, I might have that Some totally bits wrong. about that sound familiar with me. I can't, I can't corroborate it. You're but, part of the uh, sacred think... world. You don't get into the uh, <laughs> that, that entertainment like tonight. to me, right? Yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Okay, Buxtehude, then what? Uh, the third piece in, on the program is Rubrics, uh, a liturgical suite for organ by Dan Locklear. Uh, Locklear, uh, currently still a professor of music and composer in residence at Wake Forest University in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, the name of the piece, Rubrics, uh, is a reference to a liturgical term indicating the instructions given to the priest or minister celebrating according to a prescribed liturgical book. And so these texts would be typically set apart from the prayers or readings uh, printed in black, and the rubric, rubrics would be printed in red. And so I think the Latin word for rubrics is, ac- or the Latin word for red is ruber. So then we refer to those red texts, instructions as rubrics. And so these ones uh, upon which this music is based come from the uh, Episcopal Book of Common Prayer. Um, and so the movements are not allegro or andante religioso or moderato, but um, number one is uh, the ancient praise shout hallelujah has been restored. The second movement, silence may be kept. The third movement, and thanksgivings may follow. The fourth movement, the peace may be exchanged. And the fifth movement, the people respond amen. And uh, this piece uh, does have roots in Pittsburgh. It was commissioned by the Organ Artist Series uh, and premiered at Calvary Episcopal Church in Shadyside uh, in 1989 by organist uh, Mary Preston. So I'm delighted to include this uh, local piece, as it were, on the program. Great. And more? There's more? Yeah. uh, So the fourth and fifth pieces are two short works uh, by the... Early 20th century, early 20th century British organist and composer uh, Percy Whitlock. He studied in London, was a student of uh, Stanford and uh, Vaughan Williams, um, and had experience as a theater organist. And uh, so that's very evident in many of his compositions. The first of the pieces I'll play is from his uh, seven sketches on the Psalms. So this is a charming little pastoral on Psalm 23. And then the second piece is uh, from a collection of five short pieces, uh, Andante Tranquilo. Uh, and as the title 
uh, suggests. It's really an, kind of an expression marking, and it, it's very tranquil in this expansive acoustic uh, of the cathedral um, with a really lovely melody. And then the final piece on the program is the uh, monumental prelude fugue and prelude and fugue in E flat by Johann Sebastian Bach. Uh, this is from his volume, the Clavier Ubung, uh, the third volume of the Clavier Ubung, or a keyboard practice book. Um, and it books, bookends the piece, uh, the, the volume. Uh, and when you look through the table of contents, uh, it really uh, stands out as that it was intended to be a service-playing manual of sorts for the church organist. Um, there are all sorts of pieces corresponding to various liturgical elements of the Lutheran service. And um, it, it can be seen as uh, Bach's musical catechism. If I, if I recall correctly, I think Luther had published you know, various catechetical volumes, and so maybe Bach provided this uh, as a kind of a musical supplement of sorts. Um, and so delving into theological territory, it's not really a stretch to recognize uh, Trinitarian imagery in the music. The number three is everywhere, uh, both in the prelude and in the fugue, uh, reflective of the uh, Christian dogma that God is the unity of three divine persons. Um, so one example of three in the music uh, is in the key signature of E-flat, which uh, consists of three flats, the B-flat, E-flat, and A-flat. And the prelude consists also of three different sections featuring three different motives and exemplary of three different musical styles. And the opening uh, of the prelude is reminiscent of the French overture style with dotted rhythms, a very stately representation of God the Father, uh, the second section is reminiscent of the Italian concerto style, uh, and some of the echo gestures might be heard in light of God the Son and his begottenness of the Father. Uh, and the third section represents the Holy Spirit uh, in a really characteristic German Spielfuge, which is uh, noted, you know, has constant 16th note motion, a very motoric uh, passage. Um, and it's this third fugue subject that is particularly vivid, I think, because it, it depicts the descent of the Holy Spirit uh, in a descending scale. And then with an ever-expanding broken interval, it, it just kind of expands in this wedge that just blooms into the room. Uh, it's really a, a thrilling subject. Um, and then in the fugue proper... Uh, we have three different sections, uh, all with three different motives. Uh, but more notably, Bach incorporates all three together eventually at the end. And so the first theme uh, for God the Father is uh, rather stately, uh, kind of in what we call the stile antico, or the old style of fugue. And then we get, um, for the second subject, a sprightly theme for God the Son. And then we hear both of them at the same time. And then finally, the third subject uh, for the Holy Spirit is a jig, a really kind of appropriately so, a dance, right? And, uh, and then we hear all three of them together at the very end, and uh, I, I really struggle to think of a better word for that than rapturous. It's so thrilling. It just, very dramatic. Perfect yeah. closer yeah. for your concert. Yeah, I think so. Well, good luck with everything. Yeah. And uh, the series has been going really well. It was a, a wonderful treat to meet your uh, 
teacher last week, Dr. Richard Conzen. Yeah, and I've been very blessed with some wonderful teachers. He was one of my first, uh, you know, at Grove City College, and uh, it was a real treat to connect with him, you know, over the last week, especially when he was... Uh, when he was practicing and preparing for his own concert. And uh, it just reminded me of all of the things that I learned from him. So I'm very grateful for that. Now yeah. the mayor of Mercer. Who would have guessed <laughs> who that? Thought, yeah, right? exactly. Oh, my. Yeah. And we should repeat the basics. It's free, this recital. Yeah, through the generosity of our benefactors, right? Yeah, it's um, uh, completely free and open to the public. The church is air-conditioned, so especially on the hot summer days of uh, August, uh, it's quite comfortable. And uh, it's a beautiful place to hear music. Um, I'm sorry that I don't have it committed to memory when I can see and hear you otherwise uh, outside of this 3.30 Sunday afternoon recital. So uh, between uh, our associate organist, uh, Ken Danchik, and myself, you know, we kind of uh, rotate responsibilities over the four weekend masses that have music at St. Paul Cathedral. That's Saturday afternoons, uh, Saturday evenings, really, at 6 p.m., and then a Sunday morning at 10, and then also 12 p.m., and then again Sunday evening at 6 p.m. And so when the choir's there during the academic year, uh, Ken and I are both there at noon on Sundays, and then the rest of the year we kind of rotate, you know, give each other mornings and evenings. So. And the early morning Mass does not have much. 6.30 a.m., no, no, it, that's spoken. Um, 6.30. Uh, 6.30 in the morning, right, yeah. There used to be an 8 o'clock, I think. Yeah, 6.30 in the morning. Um, so what happened to the 8 o'clock? Because that's the one I remember. I think I as think. part of the uh, reorganization, I think uh, when parishes were invited to revisit their mass schedules, I think it was, you know, through various uh, discernment that was deemed the one that, that could be cut. Um, probably shares a lot of similar uh, attendance demographics to the 10, um, whereas the 6.30 kind of mm -hmm. has its own kind of atmosphere. So, And the televised Mass, when does it appear? So uh, the weekend uh, Mass is 10 o'clock. That's live-streamed and I believe is carried through uh, various local... It's on cable out, TV. I, yeah, yeah. And then uh, Monday through Friday, uh, 8.15 daily Mass uh, is carried through Christian Associates as well and also available on the Cathedral's Facebook page, live-streamed. But 8.15? Yeah. yeah, there is music. Yeah, we have... Uh, yes, is that, did I say 8.15? Yes. Oh, okay, yeah, 8.15, uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, there's also one on Saturday, which is still... Uh, uh, live streamed, but only Monday through Friday has music. So we uh, organists play and sing ourselves. So, How do yeah. you keep it all straight? It's <laughs> wow. a good question. It's a, it's when, a lot. It's when a do lot. you rehearse with your choir? Thursday evenings uh, throughout the academic year uh, from 7.30 to 9. And are there still so, openings? How does one absolutely, get in the choir? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And, um, there is an audition process. It's helpful if uh, prospective singers have choral experience and the ability to read music. Um, it's a primarily volunteer uh, group. And, um, yeah, it's just a, a very welcoming and supportive environment. And uh, people are committed to singing beautiful music. It's certainly uh, the, the cathedral encourages that. It's very rewarding to sing choral music in that church. So um, it's something that we're really, really committed to. Now, we've talked in previous conversations about the special qualities of the Beccarat organ. Tell me, for non-Catholics who may not have been to the cathedral recently, this is 
uh, a special place for many reasons. It's the heart of Catholicism in Western Pennsylvania. Yeah, so the term cathedral is really um, not so much an uh, architectural term, but it refers to uh, the chair of the bishop. So cathedra comes from the Latin word meaning chair. And so when you come into St. Paul Cathedral up near the front, you can see a, a rather a chair that just looks larger and uh, is more ornate and uh, has a, a small canopy over it. And so that is a kind of a, an architectural symbol of the authority of the local bishop over the territory of the diocese. And so that the current bishop is Bishop David Zubik. And, um, and so that, that's a, a church of prominence in the diocese. So we refer, refer to it as the mother church you know, in the Diocese of Pittsburgh. Which is how many worshipers? Do you have an idea of the grand total between across all the Currently, churches? Uh, I'm I, not sure I could say that off the top of my head. I'm not quite sure about what the uh, current census even is. Even the number of but, churches uh, involved? I don't know. I don't have any idea. Well, that, you know, even then, because of the recent reorganization, we're talking about um, you have maybe large... more buildings than parishes because the parishes have been reorganized yes. and maybe comprise between one and four churches, you know, so you have the or more. Shadyside Church and St. Bede's, and of course St. Bede's joined with St. James and Wilkinsburg, and that was part of the right, re- right. reorganization. So even, uh, you know, I, you know, grew up, most of my childhood a... was in Monroeville, and uh, so there, there are a couple parishes there that are now consolidated. Yeah. I'm just thinking but, of the yeah. East End churches that I know yeah. are driving by, but I yeah. know there's quite a, a range yeah. of, of facilities. Yeah. So when you think of the good work that the church does this obviously ministering to one's spiritual needs but you have all sorts of outreach to the community and you do weddings and funerals all kinds of good work happens through the church what is most rewarding to you obviously the music and what that brings surely to that's sitting that's in the my pews. uh regular point of interaction in the church's activity i think uh, in a real way the most important thing that the church does in all of its programming i think it was written somewhere and um, some sort of official capacity that the most important thing that the church does is worship and pray. And, um, and so for church musicians that regularly uh, calls on us to be on our game and to provide music that um, lifts minds and spirits and uh, evokes a sense of the transcendent. Um, and I think one of the most important images that we have of heaven is of music and of choirs and of harps and lyres. And, you know, so uh, it, it's really an important ministry of the church to inspire prayer and worship. And um, so I, St. Paul Cathedral, that's really one of the most, that really makes it, takes up the most of its activity. I mean, it's a very busy place, but again, you mentioned, you know, the regular weekend mass schedule, how many funerals, how many weddings. I mean, those are different types of services, but they're all services. They're all, they're all worship services. And, um, you know, to be able to use, you know, circling back around to the Beckerot, to be able to use that instrument for every one of these worship services. I mean, it's used every single day of the week. And uh, that's very staggering to me. And um, it shows, uh, in my mind, really the emphasis that is placed on music, that it occupies, you know, 
a very large wall of the cathedral. Um, you can't move it. It's there permanently. And uh, uh, it just, even when it's silent, it, you, you know it's there for some other purpose. You, you know. Brian so. Gurley, the Lord is the right man for the job. <laughs> I'm glad <laughs> you're there. <laughs> so thanks for coming by to talk it over. Yeah, Good luck absolutely. with your recital. And the final event, which is? Sunday, August 14th, Tom Mueller from uh, Concordia University in Irvine, California. And a little about him. Uh, he, uh, in addition to teaching at Concordia University, he's a professor of music there. Um, he has an extensive history in jazz and bluegrass, uh, on top of also currently serving as associate organist at St. James in the City Episcopal Church in Los Angeles. So we were classmates at Notre Dame, but uh, then he kind of went more into the uh, academia uh, side of things, and um, but is still active in, as a church musician. And uh, so we've kept in touch over the years. I'm delighted to have him play here on the series. Has he said what the centerpiece will be? Um, Shared any of his repertoire? Yes, he's going to play? although, yeah, he's going to start. I know uh, the, the piece of Bach, right? I, he's going to open with the Bach Prelude and Fugue in D major. Off the top of my head, I remember that's what he's playing. I know he composed uh, a setting. Uh, maybe a multi-movement setting of a chorale. I think it's Vishern Leuchtet. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Yeah, I'm sure it's so, going to be great. It'll be a great program. Grand finale. Yeah, yeah. All right. And then in the fall, after you take a break, when do you have another recital? The next program would be in early October. That's Sunday, October 2nd at 3.30 p.m. That's going to be performed by our associate organist, Ken Danchik. Um, so he's been at the cathedral for at least 17 years and uh, so he'll uh, perform the first kind of larger scale program of the fall season. Look so, forward to that. Yeah. Lots to look forward to in the, yeah. in the fall. All the best to you, yeah, Brian. Thank you very much, Jim.